1: Good day, bonjour, and welcome to the Second Quarter Results 2021 for Laurentian Bank Financial Group Conference Call. Today's conference is being recorded. At this time, I would like to turn the conference over to Ms. Susan Cohen, Director, Investor Relations. Please go ahead, ma'am.
2: Bonjour à tous. Good morning, and thank you for joining us. Today's opening remarks will be delivered by Rania Llewellyn, President and CEO and the review of our second quarter of 2021 financial results will be presented by Yvonne Deschamps, Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer, after which we will invite questions from the phone. Also joining us for the question period are several members of the bank's executive leadership team. Liam Mason, Chief Risk Officer, Kelsey Gunderson, Head of Capital Markets, Eric Provost, Head of Commercial Banking, and for the first time, Karine abgral Teslek, Head of Personal Banking. All documents pertaining to the quarter can be found on our website in the Investor Center. I would like to remind you that during this conference call, forward-looking statements may be made, and it's possible that actual results may differ materially from those projected in such statements. For the complete cautionary note regarding forward-looking statements, please refer to our press release or to slide two of the presentation. It is now my pleasure to turn the call over to Rania Llewellyn.
0: Thanks, Susan. Bonjour a tous. Good morning and thank you to everyone for joining us today. I would like to begin by expressing my deep sadness about the recent discovery of the remains of 215 children buried on the grounds of a former residential school in Kamloops, BC. As we pause and honor the lives of these 215 innocent children and the countless others, we must also make a commitment to them and their families that our individual and collective actions as a nation must focus on righting these wrongs. Moving now to our second quarter, On behalf of the entire leadership team, I want to thank everyone at Laurentian Bank for their efforts over the last quarter and for their ongoing commitment to our organization and the new leadership team. You have continued to grapple with the competing priorities of home life and your ongoing commitment to the work of the bank. Your efforts are very much appreciated and directly contribute to our positive results. As the country continues to work its way through the third wave of the pandemic, our priority remains the health and safety of our employees and in supporting our customers and communities during these challenging times. For our part, we are offering all our employees paid time off to get vaccinated and encourage everyone to do so as soon as possible. With the number of new COVID-19 cases declining, and with increasing vaccination rates across the country, there is reason to feel optimistic. Turning to our results, the momentum we built in the first quarter of 2021 continued into the second quarter, delivering adjusted net income of $56.7 million. This represents an increase of 19% quarter over quarter and is almost four times higher than a year ago, with adjusted earnings per share of $1.23. Our results were driven by strong performance in capital markets, lower provision for credit losses, and our continued focus on cost discipline. The PCL includes a reserve release on performing loans of $9.9 million, reflecting improvements in economic forecasts. The bank has also maintained its healthy liquidity levels and a strong capital position with a CET1 ratio of 10.1%. This quarter also saw some key developments that I would like to highlight. Following the employee vote, the Canada Industrial Relations Board revoked the union certification covering the unionized employees. Both DBRS and SMP upgraded their ratings outlook on the bank from negative to stable, recognizing the solid progress that the bank is making. The bank launched its inaugural covered bond program, issuing $250 million at the beginning of the third quarter to further diversify and optimize sources of funding. And we announced the issuance of $125 million of limited recourse capital notes. The proceeds are earmarked to redeem the preferred share Series 15 with a positive impact on the cost of capital. While I am pleased with our overall performance for the quarter and the first half of the year, there continues to be much work to be done to position the bank for sustained growth and profitability. As a result, we do not expect this year of transition and strategic refocus to be a straight line to success. You will recall from previous quarters that we've established three strategic pillars that are guiding all of our efforts and actions. They are cultivating a customer-first culture, driving an agile and innovative mindset, and engaging and empowering our employees to work as one team. From those pillars, we identified three key priorities in 2021. Number one, renew the senior leadership team and organizational structure. Number two, increase our efforts on cost discipline while pivoting to structural cost opportunities. And number three, conduct a thorough review of the bank's operations and develop a new strategic plan. I would like to provide a brief update on our progress against each of those priorities. First, as part of renewing our senior leadership team, we appointed Karen Abgral Teslik as Executive Vice President and Head of Personal Banking. With 25 years of financial services experience, Karen has a strong track record of transforming businesses and driving a customer-first strategy. She is leading our one-team approach to personal banking, which includes the Quebec branch network, digital banking, and B2B bank. With the acceleration of digitization, changing consumer needs and speed of change, technology has become a key enabler for all organizations, especially financial institutions. In order to support our need to become more agile as an organization and more digitally enabled, we will be conducting a formal search for a new Chief Technology Officer. Second, I would like to highlight the continued efforts in the bank to carefully manage our discretionary expenses. Our focus on cost discipline enabled us to improve our adjusted efficiency ratio in the second quarter by 490 basis points from last year, maintaining this ratio below 70%. We are now pivoting towards cost optimization. In alignment with our overall theme of simplification, we are reviewing several of our key partnership agreements to ensure that we are getting the best value for the bank's dollars. As we continue to review our end-to-end processes, we will look to leverage partnerships as a way to drive further efficiencies. Last quarter, we mentioned that addressing the underperformance of our mortgage business was a high priority and committed to sharing our progress as we embarked on an end-to-end review. This quarter, we conducted a review of our mortgage broker channel origination process and found that the customer experience is complex, the process is lengthy, and there is an inconsistent level of service for our brokers. As a result, we are instituting a number of improvements, including piloting a program that segments and differentiates brokers to improve the customer experience, reducing overlap and duplication to streamline and simplify the end-to-end process, and establishing a dedicated end-to-end file ownership structure to improve our response time and service levels, all while maintaining our disciplined underwriting standards. We are now extending this review to our mortgage broker channel retention process and to our branch channel. On our last call, I talked about the ESG journey that we have begun at Laurentian Bank and how committed I am to it. That's why I announced at our AGM that I am personally taking the lead as Laurentian Bank's ESG champion making myself directly accountable for our ESG strategy and will be working closely with the board. We've also included ESG and eDNI targets in all leaders of scorecards, linking these initiatives directly to performance as part of our efforts. To further support our ESG initiatives this past quarter, we established an executive ESG steering committee and cross-functional working group, and we have appointed our CFO, Yvonne Duchamp, as the lead of our TCFD task force. And we launched our first courageous conversation series led by the newly formed Black Employee Resource Group. I look forward to continuing to update you on our progress in the quarters to come. On May 26, Laurentian Banks celebrated its 175th anniversary. Not too many Canadian companies can say they have been part of the fabric of our country for 175 years. This is an incredible milestone, and it is an opportunity to reflect on our remarkable past and to celebrate the strength of our roots. Our evolution as an institution is one built on prudence, innovation, and dedication to serving a market that was previously underserved. What hasn't changed in nearly two centuries is our unwavering commitment to serving the financial needs of our customers, our shareholders, and our communities. To promote our customer-first approach, we have launched several deposit and credit card 175 branded cashback offers to reward our existing customers and acquire new ones. As we continue to celebrate throughout the year and to support our renewal and growth strategy, additional product offerings will be launched. Across the board, our people are telling us they want to play a vital role in our future success. And I am pleased to say that I am seeing a renewed sense of pride and a winning attitude across all business lines. As we look towards our exciting future, our continued success will be the result of how we move forward together as one team and as one bank. I am now pleased to turn the call over to Yvonne for his first earnings call as our CFO.
3: Merci, Rania. Bonjour à tous and good morning everyone. I would like to begin by turning to slide nine, which highlights the bank's financial performance. Total revenue increased by 4% and adjusted non-interest expenses decreased by 3%, driving positive operating leverage from last year. Adjusted net income reached $56.7 million in the second quarter of 2021, An adjusted pre-tax pre-provision income totaled $75.1 million, up $14.6 million from last year. A more granular review of the drivers of our performance begins on slide 10. Year over year, net interest income and net interest margin were relatively unchanged as improved funding costs were largely offset by lower loan volumes. Turning to slide 11. Other income was up 13% from a year ago. The increase was mainly due to the strong contribution from capital market and treasury activities, which improved by $4.5 million, as well as from higher lending fees stemming from increased commercial activity and commissions from sale of mutual funds, which benefited from the strong performance of financial markets. We continue to have a disciplined focus on cost. Slide 12 highlights that adjusted non-interest expenses were 3% lower than last year. Salaries and employee benefits increased by 4%, reflecting higher performance-based compensation related to strong capital markets revenues and the overall improvement in profitability. This was partially offset by lower salaries from a reduction in headcount. Premises and technology costs were 2% lower year-over-year, year, reflecting good cost control. Other non-interest expenses declined by 22%, stemming from a general reduction of expenses ensuing from efficiency measures and the current economic conditions. The adjusted efficiency ratio remained below 70%. Normalizing for the higher performance-based compensation, the efficiency ratio would have been similar to the first quarter, underscoring our continued cost discipline. Slide 13 presents our sources of funding, which we continue to strengthen, diversify, and optimize. First. The bank increased its use of securitization over the past year by $1.6 billion. Considering this increase in the lower loan volumes, we chose to reduce term deposits from advisors and brokers by $1.7 billion and wholesale deposits by $0.6 billion. These decisions optimized our funding costs and contributed to the improvement in net interest income while providing greater flexibility as growth resumes. Second, personal branch notice and demand deposits increased year-over-year by $300 million, or 12%. Finally, we recently came to the market with two inaugural issues. We established a covered bond program, and shortly after quarter-end, we closed our first $250 million covered bond issue. This is, the first, uh, sorry, this is the most efficient form of funding conventional residential mortgages and will allow the bank to deliver competitively priced products to our customers. The bank also issued $125 million of limited recourse capital notes at the beginning of the third quarter with the proceeds to be used to redeem the Preferred Shares Series 15. This will generate more than $2 million in net annual savings to the bank. Slide 14, highlights our strong capital position. The CET1 capital ratio presented under the standardized approach stood at 10.1%. Internally generated capital and other gains related to employee benefit plans and equity securities designated at fair value to OCI were the main drivers of a 30 basis point sequential increase. At the current CET1 level, the bank has about $350 million of excess capital based on the midpoint of our risk appetite range of 8.1 to 8.5%. Slide 15 highlights the commercial loan portfolio, which grew by $59 million sequentially or about $150 million, excluding the impact of foreign exchange. Growth in real estate lending was mostly offset by a decrease in inventory financing, reflecting seasonality, the impact of foreign exchange, and continuing high consumer demand for recreational goods. The latter has kept the dealer credit utilization rate in the mid-30s, compared to the mid-50s historically. Over the past year, our business development team has expanded the the dealer network by approximately 20%, which positions us well for the post-pandemic recovery. Furthermore, the bank's exposure to sectors most impacted by the pandemic, namely restaurants, hotels, retail malls, business, aircraft, and travel, as well as oil and gas, is low at about 2% of our total p- loan portfolio. The strength of our underwriting, good diversification, and strong collateral contribute to the high quality of the commercial loan portfolio. Slide 16 presents the Penn canadian residential mortgage loan portfolio. Residential mortgage loans slightly declined by 1% during the quarter. As Rania mentioned, we are taking actions to review our end-to-end mortgage processes to improve the customer experience and to renew growth. The loss ratio improved to six basis points from 10 basis points last quarter and mainly reflects the conservative credit quality of the portfolio. Insured mortgages accounting for 57% of the portfolio is one of the highest ratios in the banking industry, and when combined with a low LTV on the uninsured portfolio, contribute to reducing the overall risk of this portfolio. Turning to slide 17, allowances for credit losses totaled $185.5 million. The sequential decrease of $8.1 million includes $9.9 million of releases of provisions on performing loans, reflecting an improved economic outlook. ACL continues to take into consideration our cautious approach, given the uncertainty related to new variants, vaccine hesitancy, and provincial lockdowns, as well as decreasing government support. Scenario weights were unchanged from the prior quarter, with higher weights attributed to the base and downside scenarios, and a lower weight to the upside. As shown on on slide 18, the provision for credit losses was $2.4 million in the second quarter of 2021. Compared to the last quarter, PCL decreased by $14.4 million mostly due to the releases of provisions on performing loans, reflecting an improvement in the economic outlook, as well as lower provisions on commercial impaired loans. The PCL loan ratio stood at three basis points in the quarter compared to 20 basis points last quarter. Gross impaired loans on slide 19 decreased by $18.8 million from last quarter, reflecting the return to performing status of some commercial and personal loans, as well as some repayments. I would like to uh, offer some thoughts on how we see the third quarter developing. Despite the longer quarter, net interest income is expected to be in line with Q2, mainly to the recent and anticipated decrease in inventory financing volume for Q3, reflecting seasonality, the impact of foreign exchange, and dealer credit utilization rates that have yet to normalize. Net interest margin is expected to be a few basis points lower for the same reason. Capital markets has begun the third quarter with positive momentum following a record quarter in Q2. The commercial banking pipeline is strong, particularly in real estate lending, but loan growth is expected to be offset by the temporary softness in inventory financing that I just mentioned. We will continue our heightened focus on cost discipline and aim to keep the efficiency ratio below 70% for 2021. Finally, Provisions for credit losses continues to be difficult to predict on a quarterly basis. Uncertainty around the pandemic is lingering, while economic indicators are moving in the right direction. Furthermore, we've not yet seen the expected uh, migration in credit, which led to low provisions for credit losses this quarter. Our approach to credit losses remained prudent, and we believe we remain adequately provisioned. We may see additional releases in the second half of the year should conditions continue to evolve favorably. Considering these factors, we expect pre-tax, pre provision income for the third quarter to be similar to the second quarter. I will now turn the call back to Susan.
2: At this point, I would like to turn the call over to the conference call operator for the question and answer session. Monish?
1: Thank you ladies and gentlemen. If you would like to ask a question, please signal by pressing star 1 on your telephone keypad. If you are using a speakerphone, please make sure your mute function is turned off to allow your signal to reach our equipment. Again, press star 1 to ask a question. We'll pause for just a brief moment to allow everyone an opportunity to signal for questions. We'll take our first question from Manny Groman of Scotia Bank. Please go ahead.
5: You mentioned that uh, according to the bank's calculation, you have about $350 million in excess capital. I'm wondering what your capital deployment priorities are, how you think about that $350 million, Uh Thanks, Hunt.
0: Thanks. uh, Thanks, Manny. So, uh, yes, we are well capitalized at 10.1% based on a standardized approach, uh, and it is above our risk appetite, which is between 8.1 to 8.5, which leaves us with approximately $350 million in excess capital. Our number one deployment uh, strategy is really we see uh, a lot of opportunities from an organic growth perspective, so to redeploy it and reinvest it in our business. But as we said in the past, if there's an opportunity for any uh, strategic tuck-in acquisitions that are not distracting, but more importantly are creative and are on strategy, uh, that is is definitely something that we will consider at the appropriate time.
5: So even though you're still going through sort of the the strategic review, that wouldn't preclude doing a deal if, if the right deal came here, right? Is that correct?
0: So what I would say is that we are open for any strategic transactions that are opportunistic, that are on strategy, and that are accretive. And but we will continue to be prudent in terms of our capital deployment strategy. That's
5: helpful. And, and then just following up in terms of the the organic uh, growth comment that you made, in terms of uh, you know call it RWA growth, how do you see that developing? Uh, over the the second half of the year and as as you look on when do you expect to really see uh, that start to uh, uh expand meaningfully yeah
0: many i'm going to turn that question over to uh, our cfo Yvon.
3: thank you many for your question so as i mentioned in my script uh, we currently have a very strong pipeline in commercial banking particularly in real estate uh, but we do have softness in inventory financing uh, and the main element there is that, as we've uh, mentioned over the last few quarters, the demand uh, is still pretty high for the uh, consumer recreational uh, goods. Uh, so that will temper uh, what we see in terms of asset for the next few quarters. Uh, so my comment would relate to the RWA as well.
5: That's helpful. And then the final just a follow-up on the mortgage side in particular – you mentioned a few changes that you're making and expanding the review um, when do you expect the changes that you've made to bear fruit like what's a realistic timeline there and and uh will we see it in terms of uh in terms of volume growth uh and over what time frame?
0: Yeah, so uh so great question. What I would say is that uh, as anybody who's done uh end-to-end process reengineering for the mortgage business in particular, it's not going to happen overnight. So what we've done is we've uh started with our broker origination business. Uh, started identifying some quick, early, easy wins, which uh, we've uh, kind of shared with you today in terms of piloting a few things, segmentation, reducing our overlap, and, and for example, putting in a quarterback who's responsible for um, making sure they own the file from start to finish. We're starting to see some early positive uh, results coming out of that, and so we'll continue to expand that. We're going to be very uh, cautious uh, in terms of our approach, in terms of how we uh, roll things out. The next thing is everybody knows retention is a big part of the mortgage business, and so that's why we're going to be undergoing an end-to-end review on the retention side. And then we'll also be expanding into our entire branch network in Quebec as well. So so all I see is there's lots of upside. There's lots of opportunities. We just have to be patient. We're probably going to start seeing results in the next uh, 12 to 18 months.
5: Thank you very much.
1: Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you find that your questions have been answered, you may remove yourself from the queue by pressing star 2. And as a reminder, it is star 1 to ask a question. We'll now take our next question from Gabriel Duchenne of National Bank. Please go ahead.
6: Hi, hey, good morning. Just to stick with this, uh, oh, I guess, some of the uh, th- stuff we've touched upon already here, but the, uh, the mortgage uh, distribution channel reviews, both the uh, branch and the broker – uh you you identify origination processes that are getting fixed um and but you also talk about renewals uh what's going on there as far as some problems you're seeing and then i mean just benchmarking uh you know, the, the 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 retention rates uh that you that you see how how where are they and where do you want them to be
0: yeah, so so, so, Gabriel, thanks for the question. And so we did start in this quarter, this past quarter, focused on the origination, and we're now pivoting to retention. So it's early days in terms of identifying benchmarks and uh, where we're at at this point, uh, which is why we're undergoing, because you're absolutely right, retention is key to this. So that's what we're going to be doing in this quarter, and we will be providing uh, the analysts and the market with an update in the next quarter or two uh, based on our mm-hmm. findings. But it's uh, it's all hands are on deck in terms of making sure that uh, we identify the issues, map it out, figure out what some of the quick wins and early fixes are that we can we can do to right this ship. It's uh, It's no news based on our performance. We are underperforming in that business, which is why it's a high priority for us, and it's a big opportunity for us.
6: No, no, I get that. I'm not asking to be, you know, it's like a glass half full perspective, because, um, you know, a few years ago, we were after, you know, when B20 was, was coming into force fourth effect, and you know, we were asking all the banks about retention rates. And I was surprised to hear it was over 90% for pretty much all of them. And are you, do you know if you're quite a ways off from that? Because that does represent, uh, you know, if you can fix it, a big, uh, big opportunity, as you, as you say
0: yeah. So, 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 Gabriel, what I would say is that based on our underperformance, uh, that we are below market on all benchmarks, mm-hmm. whether it's faster time to decision, improving our funding ratio, as well as our retention rates, which is why we see this as a big opportunity for us, and
6: we are focused on fixing it. Okay. Uh, expense optimization, that was something that uh, I hadn't heard of it before, and you mentioned reviewing partnerships. Is that more of a, you know, Supplier kind of focused uh, initiative, or part? I know I know the one with Mackenzie on the on the mutual fund, but is it more more the former or the latter?
0: Yeah, so what I would say, Gabriel, is we actually conducted a complete cost optimization program that we had shared with the market back in Q4 uh, as well as Q1. So. Uh, and so now we're in the process uh, under our new leadership team in terms of reviewing what are some of the strategic priorities, how does it fit into our overall strategic review, while we continue our heightened focus on cost discipline. And so, uh, as I had mentioned, we need to pivot from not just being cost disciplined, but identifying cost optimization. Some of the early findings are, yes, there are a number of key strategic partnerships out there in terms of contracts. Where there may be opportunities for us to renegotiate the levels of service, uh, what, you know making sure that we're getting our money's worth. Uh, sometimes you end up paying for things that you don't even use. So some of these key strategic contracts are currently under review. Um, and then as part of our ongoing end-to- end process reengineering and reviews, it's seeing if there's other opportunities for us to partner up to create more efficiencies in our business.
6: And then lastly, on the deposit slash funding side, uh, I, and the message I'm, I'm getting here is, and, and, and it's on the, you know, tapping into, you know, covered bonds, cheap wholesale funding, uh, maybe the emphasis of the, the broker channel, uh, for deposits to, to, to reduce your funding costs there. Um, is that, you know, correct interpretation? But you know, would would that uh, kind of perspective of the emphasis of of certain deposit products would that extend to the uh, the broker? Oh, sorry, the the branch channel, the core branch channel, or or is that still an area that you're 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 focused on to to grow?
0: Yeah, so, no, so Gabriel, you know, deposits are core to the bank and making sure that we get personal deposits as well as commercial deposits is going to be key to our success going forward. So it's not de-emphasizing it whatsoever. On the contrary, our digital play mm-hmm. is going to play a critical role in terms of uh, building that. So we will be focused on deposit growth. What we've done in the meantime is uh, as Yvonne mentioned, we proactively manage our deposits to really optimize our margins and making sure we're getting cheaper sources of funding and to also ma- make sure that we're managing it against our asset growth. And so it's that's a, that's a strategic direction that we've uh, we focused on. Uh, but that's not to say that deposits are not core to the bank. And uh, just in terms of our celebrations for our 175 uh, year celebrations, we've launched a couple of new pro- products and, and cashback offers in the market, again, to acquire new customers, new deposits, as well as increase uh, deposits from our existing client base. So we'll continue to be a focus for the bank.
6: Perfect. Thank you and enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks, Gabriel. Thank
1: you. We'll now take our next question from Paul Holden of CIBC. Please go ahead.
7: Thank you. Good morning. So, the uh, quarterly guidance you provided was helpful, but maybe I want to drill down on a few of those items, just kind of extend the outlook beyond the uh, the next quarter because there are some positive trends here. So, maybe starting with the inventory finance, I mean, the customer demand clearly is is there it's really supply supply chain issues that have been well documented that seems to be limiting the uh, the lending opportunity so when do you think this might turn around and start becoming a source of growth clearly not next quarter but could it be as early as Q4 or is this more of a 2022 type uh, story
0: yeah, so thanks, Paul, for the question. So so maybe if I can just kind of paint a picture. So in terms of our inventory financing, 85% of our business is in the U.S., 15% is in Canada. And as you know, the reopening plans are different uh, depending on the markets. The, the consumer demand has definitely outstripped uh, the supply, so there is a supply chain issue. And as Yvonne had mentioned in his opening remarks, our utilization rates pre-pandemic were in the mid-50s, and right now we're sitting at the mid-30s. So, just in terms of simple math, for one extra percentage point of utilization, that translates into $50 million of additional assets. And so, if we were to return back to our pre-pandemic utilization rates, that would generate an additional billion dollars in assets. Um, It is a seasonal business, though, so there is a seasonality to it as well. And so, from a timing perspective, we anticipate that this will be recovering in the next I would say 12, so it would be a 2022 story and beyond. Um, but in the meantime, we've been adding uh, dealers as well uh, to also mitigate some, of that, uh, mitigate some of that risk. We've added 20% year over year. So we're quite optimistic uh, once, uh, once the tide turns and the seasonality issue is uh, out of the equation as well as the supply chain issue uh, that this will continue to be a growth engine for us
3: that is a
7: very helpful answer. Just just one follow-on in that, in terms of the dealers you've added, is that also mostly in the U.S. as well?
0: It's a combination, so we're constantly looking to grow our business in Canada as well as in the U.S.
7: Got it. Okay. So, similar question on equipment finance, and maybe that one recovers, my thinking would be maybe that one recovers a little bit earlier. Again, I think positive demand backdrop, but Maybe less supply constraints. Maybe you can help us with an outlook there in terms of when that can get back to uh, to growth trajectory again.
0: Yeah. So uh, Eric Crolo, who's the head of our commercial bank, is on the call. So I'll uh, I'll turn that question over to him, Paul.
5: Yeah. Thank you, Rania. Uh, in terms of equipment finance, we we're, we're well positioned as well to uh, benefit from the recovery. Um, and and most of our, our positioning is in transportation construction as well as uh, technology and equipment finance uh, equipment so um so so we will ramp up uh, following reopening and again depending on the the geography but uh, most of the uh, portfolio out there is uh, actually in Canada so um so driver for us in the next few quarters uh, depending
7: on uh, the pandemic situation. Got it. Okay. And then final question noticed on the um on the fee-based income that service charges were up 10% quarter over quarter. Just wondering is that all volume based or are there some um price increases um included there?
0: Yeah, so I would say uh, in the in the fee income, there's lending fees that are up. So, uh, lending fees are up 15% year over year and 6% quarter over quarter. And that's really just a, a reflection of the increased commercial lending activities, per- particularly in our real estate uh, lending uh, portfolio. But the other thing too that we uh, introduced is um, fees relating to paper statements. And that was really to incentivize our customers to access digital statements, uh, which is obviously more environmentally friendly. And as part of our ongoing review, we'll be continuously looking at all of our product offerings and our services and uh and uh, benchmarking it uh from a fee and pricing perspective.
5: Got it. Okay, that's all for me.
1: Thank you. Thank you. We'll now take our next question from Doug Young of Desjardins Capital Markets. Please go ahead.
8: Hi, good morning. Just Two quick ones on on the credit side. Uh, when I look at the, the release, it seems like there could be, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, there might be a, a bit of negative migration in the result book, and I'm just curious what that might relate to. I guess I'm curious if I'm right and if what that might relate to. And then just the net write-offs increased quarter over quarter, more on the personal side, and just hoping to get a little bit of color on that as well.
0: Yeah, thanks, Doug. I'll uh, turn that question over uh,
9: to Liam. Good morning, Doug. What I would say is there is a slight uh, uh, bit of migration in uh, solely the mortgage book. It relates to a few uh, of uh, of the the mortgages linked to uh, rentals, uh, and uh, it's not material. Uh, We don't expect it to persist, uh, but it's not unexpected given the COVID situation.
8: And then on the personal write-offs?
9: on the uh, on the personal side uh, uh actually there's not uh, there's not a lot of migration at all uh, as we've explained in the past uh we were prudent in terms of our reserving uh, around anything that uh, that had a deferral program um we've uh, we've seen uh, things behave uh, very well on that uh and as a result uh, we're not seeing uh, any uh, anything adverse in that space
8: okay so the red so I- maybe i can yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, Doug. No, I was just going to say there's not. It looked like the personal rate offs were up, but I just wanted to do something unusual. But it doesn't sound like there is. is That's that normal
9: variation,
8: Doug. Normal variation.
0: Yeah, just I just wanted to just kind of reconfirm that we have we we have no concerns with any of our underlying assets at this point. We feel that we're adequately reserved and. Um, and just a reminder that we have a minimal exposure to pandemic impact impacted industries that are represent less than 2% of our uh, overall portfolio.
8: Okay, perfect. And then just on the capital side, you know, and maybe this is early um like March 11th, Basfi came out with the proposed 2023 Basel 3 related changes for small and medium-sized banks. Um yeah, you know, there's some interesting changes that are that are in there that, you know, potentially could benefit um, yourselves. And I, and I understand that the ARB conversion is under review and seems to be delayed. And, but I'm, I'm just curious, and not that capital is an issue for you, but would these revisions help you, which I think they would, and can you maybe talk a bit about how that um, and how they how they would help you, if at all?
9: Yeah, thanks, Doug. Uh, there are a lot of gives and takes in the Basel III revised. Uh, we're in the process of working through the QIS uh, in terms of the impacts, and what we're seeing generally is uh, is gives and takes. In some areas, it's a, it, it's going to be uh, positive, and in other areas, it, it it might have a slight impact on our business. Ivan uh, and I are working through it, and we'll provide uh, further guidance uh, in the future as uh, as as we work through those numbers.
0: And so maybe what I would add is that we are taking those changes into consideration as we continue to do our deep dive in terms of our strategic review, because because uh, obviously as Liam said, it'll it'll depend on what industries or what sectors that we look to grow in, and so that's definitely going to be taken into account as part of our overall strategic review.
8: Okay, so more to more to come on that, and then just lastly on the Nick side, I mean you've done a well a good job on 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 non-interest expense, one of the things that caught my eye was it was down partially due to lower regulatory costs, and every bank I talk to talks about regulatory cost inflation. So uh, I'm just curious, what would that relate to That in terms of lower regulatory costs?
0: I'll refer that to uh, Yvonne.
3: Thank you, Doug, for your question. I would uh, I would start by answering General Lee. We really had a focus on cost over last year. We reduced uh, the cost materially as you can see from the improvement of the efficiency ratio. So it really impacts the whole, uh, you know, the whole lines of expenses, and not only regulatory costs but overall costs. But regulatory programs could have been business continuity, EML initiatives. It was a whole slot of things where we did invest uh, some money for some programs, uh, and most of them are now in place. So that, that's how we see the benefits of the expense reduction going forward.
8: Okay, great. Thank you.
1: Thank you. We'll now take our next question uh, from Lamar Passad of Cormac Securities. Please go ahead.
8: Thanks. Perhaps more of a big picture question for Rania. So as the economic recovery gains momentum here and we see the benefits of strong volume growth, whether it be on the personal or commercial side, I guess, how does Laurentian position itself to benefit from that recovery? I guess it's, it's kind of an unfair question given the magnitude of the strategic review you're, you're undergoing right now. But I just want to hear your philosophy and how you balance the need to participate in the economic recovery, which seems like it's, it's going to be over the next couple of quarters, uh, versus positioning the bank for success over the longer term
0: yeah so so thanks Lamar and I think that's that's a great question in terms of the balancing act quarter to quarter versus longer terms and so I would say as i had as i as I had mentioned our commercial book of business is well positioned to benefit from that upside um and 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 even though our utilization rates are down, what we're seeing is the real estate business has been picking up we're looking at we've been growing in the multi residential area um we're expanding in terms of adjacent sectors, uh, in terms of our equipment financing, as well as our dealers, looking at new product offerings. So I would say commercial is definitely well positioned to kind of ride that wave when it comes, uh, and we're already starting to see the fruits of our label, uh, labor there. And and in general, based on the specializations we're in, it's an attractive margin business. We have a deep expertise, excellent customer experience, and, and really a specialized workforce there. So I'm quite uh, quite optimistic uh, that we will ride that wave on that front. I think, in terms of our capital markets, we had a, a record quarter, um, and our, our strength continues in the fixed income uh, platform. What we're seeing is that you know government issuances uh, will continue, and so that will continue to drive some of that business for us as well. But the key thing that we've done differently in the capital market space that I think is going to really position us well is that we have uh, better alignment now between our capital markets coverage model as well as our commercial clients. And so as those two businesses work hand-in-hand, that will also generate some additional growth opportunities for us as well, and we've already started seeing that in Q2 and, uh, and, and moving forward. In the personal banking space, Listen, everybody knows it's challenged. Uh, we need to unlock the potential. It's going to take time. But we also identify that there's a lot of low-hanging fruit um, and so versus some of the longer-term fixes. So it's trying to balance out, uh, you know, what can we do in the short term while we're trying to fix things for the longer term. And so I feel optimistic that things are, you know, are going to start turning around under Corinne's uh, uh, leadership. Um listen, we have too many brands, we need to simplify it, we need to rationalize our product offerings, we need to streamline our processes, and digital is definitely going to help us unlock some of that potential. And so while doing all of that, you know, we're going to continue our heightened focus on cost. And because I always say there's two levers, it's revenue and cost, but you can't do one without focusing on the other. You need both. And so, um, you know, pivoting to cost optimization will also allow us to reinvest in our businesses where we need to, uh to ensure that we can maybe potentially move faster where we can. So hopefully that answers your question Lamar.
8: Oh, that's very helpful. Thanks for the uh the additional uh detail there. And then I just want to flip over to uh non-interest expenses and I'm referring to uh to slide 12 here and the comment that uh other income other expenses decreased 7, 6, 7.6 million uh from r- lower regulatory costs, advertising, business development, and travel. How much is that? would you suggest is is gonna come back when, when the economies uh
0: reopen. Yeah, so maybe I'll start and then I'll turn it over to Yvonne. I mean, I think every every institution out there has benefited from some of the reductions in the pandemic costs, but the pandemic has also generated some additional costs, whether it's maintenance, it's cleaning, it's equipment, it's right, so I mean our branches have been open and so we've got staff going into the branches. So some of that will level out and as we know when the economy opens up there will be a return and we've already started seeing it in our operations in the U.S. Uh, business development costs will start going up. Um, so as long as we will continue to focus on those that are within our control um, and will be very disciplined and prudent uh, and making sure that where we invest if it's business development that it's going to generate revenue and so Every leader is responsible and accountable for that, which is why we need to pivot very quickly to cost optimization, right? So that uh, you know we don't waste uh, we don't waste uh, our uh, you know our efforts, uh, and so we are starting to pivot very quickly on that. But uh, I don't know if uh, Yvonne, my CFO, has a few uh, maybe words to add. I
3: think it's a good, uh, it's a good answer, Lamar, but uh, as we look at it, there's probably, if you look at the cost base currently versus what was pre-COVID, there's probably $2 million that you can identify as what I call crown living business development. But if you offset that with the additional cleaning uh, and, and some of the stuff, uh, it's probably a million dollars of difference per quarter. And the only other element I would add is that the, uh, Environment post COVID is not going to be the same as prior to COVID, so definitely there's going to be a different way of working. Maybe not the same level of traveling and all that. That will upset some of it. And maybe the last comment is what we expect is as we restart doing business development, we would expect additional revenues coming from that as well. So we're not too concerned with the evolution as I and I mentioned. Uh, Currently, the the lockdowns are opening up in Quebec, Ontario, and some other places, Uh, so we are forecasting the efficiency ratio below 70% for the whole year 2021.
8: Okay, thanks. That's it from me.
1: Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, as a reminder, if you would like to ask a question, please signal by pressing star 1. We'll now take our next question from Sorab Movahedi of BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead.
10: Okay, thank you very much. Hopefully a, a, a couple of quick ones. A lot of the questions have been asked and answered. Um, Liam, just uh, first for you, I'm looking on your slide 18 where you show your PCL trends relative to the big six. I think the bank has taken great pride. In saying that it's always been consistently below the big six. As you think over the next uh, four quarters, do you see the risk that you may actually fall above the big six? Uh,
9: thank you, Sir, and uh, good morning. Now, um, you know, it's 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 difficult to assess right now. Certainly hard to predict as the uh, as the economy uh, improves, uh, how things will play out. Uh, and and how things stabilize. Uh, The trends do look uh, appropriate. Um, What I would say is that we have a very disciplined and prudent approach to to our underwriting, the sectors we're in with specialized experts uh, on on that. uh, And uh, I would expect our credit discipline to continue uh, and uh, our results to to be similar, uh, subject to business mix and how things evolve. But it's 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 difficult to to predict how things will evolve uh, as the end of the pandemic plays out.
0: Okay. So maybe I can if yeah, I can, so can just add to that the... overall. If I, if I can just talk about maybe fiscal 22 and beyond, because I think you know in terms of this year, uh, as we had said, provided things uh, continue, we will be looking at releases in the in the next two quarters. But as we continue to kind of finalize our strategic review. You know that could potentially change our business mix, and making sure that uh, we uh, have a risk-adjusted return model that we're comfortable with, uh, that the board is comfortable with, that our investors are comfortable with, right? So the risk appetite will will determine that based on the strategic direction that we take going forward. But we will continue to be disciplined, uh, and we we do take great pride in terms of making sure that our quality of credit is strong and uh, that we are uh,
10: well-reserved. So so maybe, Rania, maybe it's for you, maybe it's for Liam, but uh, I think uh, you gave a very, uh, uh, I think, full answer as to where the utilization rates, for example, on inventory finance are and what a 1% utilization increase means in in terms of uh, dollars of loans. Can you also say what a dollar of uh, incremental loan will mean in terms of additional reserve requirements, I guess what I'm trying to figure out here is how volatile can this line end up getting? Are you trying to grow into your reserves, or are these reserves coming out? And once the, no, I, there is an economic rebound, sir, but, I suppose, uh, then you'll have to kind of build it back up.
9: No, sir, I, 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 we're we're very happy with where our, our our provisions are today, and and as we've uh, Rania has articulated as well as Ivan. Uh, Right now, based on what we're seeing in the third quarter so far, and given the recent reopening by the provinces, we would anticipate further releases. But we're going to remain disciplined. We're going to respond to the economic conditions, and that will really drive uh, how our reserves play out. But at this juncture, we would anticipate further releases based on the reopening and what we're seeing so far in the third quarter.
0: And, and so, Harab, I think you can kind of probably go back and look at our pre-pandemic rates. Our business mix hasn't really changed much, right? So our commercial business has always been our growth engine. Um, and so uh, I think it's fair to say all things being equal, it would look more or less like our pre-pandemic PCL rates, which which have historically been lower, Right uh than uh, than are than the other banks, but the strategic review will come into play uh as uh, as things unfold uh, at the end of the year
10: okay um you made mention of the uh the certification of the union i think uh Yvonne mentioned that on a full year basis the expense to revenue ratio uh should be sub seventy percent Are you in a position to quantify what are the uh, financial benefits of the decertification of the union?
0: Yeah. So what I would say, listen, the union was an employee-led process. As far as I'm concerned, it's business as usual. Um, We're focused on renewing and growing uh, Laurentian Bank and charting the path forward. And we will continue to uh, focus on our employees, making sure they're empowered, they're engaged, and they're operating as one team.
10: I mean, so the, like, how should I think about this uh, from an expense to revenue ratio or expense growth prospects or the mix of expenses? No, no change.
3: Yeah, I think no change is the best answer. So, Rob, so the conditions of the people will pretty much remain the same. May improve for some of them, but overall, it's not material. Uh, you shouldn't expect any uh, change from that.
10: Okay, thank you. And then one last question. Maybe not so quick, but I think um, on a number of uh, comments comments that you mentioned, I think you've talked about, um, you know, more fundamental reviews, but also finding low-hanging fruit or some quick fixes. I think in the context of the mortgage review process, for example, you said uh, uh, the channel, the broker channel, you've, you've got some quick fixes and some more, I guess, more fundamental ones coming through. Can you give us some specific examples of some of those quick fixes just so that we have a sense of where the starting point is, if you will, as far as the the process uh, just to, to to be able to get a feel for what the size of the prize is at the
0: end. Yeah. Yeah. So, so What I would say is I I think in terms of like, let's just stick to mortgages because that's one that we started kind of working on. So you know, it's as simple as having a dedicated end to end file owner. I mean, it's, it's, it, that's an easy low hanging fruit. Having one person responsible for making sure that the file is going from front to end in a timely fashion, moving from one department to another, and it's fully accountable. So it sounds simple, sounds basic, and it is. And those are the little fixes that will change, um, a sense of accountability, ownership, and ensure that we're tracking it against key KPIs. So introducing due, you know, funding after time, end-to-end process turnaround time, um, improving our funding ratio, improving our retention rates while maintaining our discipline underwriting standards. So I would say that's, that's an easy one there that we can kind of uh, uh, point to because that's something that we've delivered on and we started seeing how that helps. Even, you know, I'm a big believer in Agile, stand-up huddles, people talking to each other. Where's the file? Is this a priority file? Is it complex? So streamlining, you know, different streams for different transactions depending on complexity and depending on what the expectations of the customers are. So so to be honest, there's a lot of these that are not rocket science. It, it's a mind shift. It's a change in culture. I believe, uh, you know, we brought in the right team. And uh, and that we are uh, we're ready to execute. And so so stay tuned. Uh, like I said, there's lots of uh, lots of opportunities, but it's going to take time.
10: And, and maybe I yeah, just one last question. And maybe if if it's too long of an answer, we can save this for another time. But you said you're still in the market for, um, I think, a chief digital officer or a technology officer. I may get the characterization wrong. But what what is what would be the what What is the goal for that individual? What are you looking for that individual to deliver to the bank and over what sort of time frame?
0: Yeah, so, so Rob, I'm not sure if you're applying for the job, but I'm happy to uh, share with you what I'm looking for in a chief technology officer. Uh, uh, I'm just being a little facetious here. Um, so, listen, technology is a foundational component to any institution, particularly financial institutions, given the changing consumer behaviors the acceleration of digital adoption. Um, and so I'm looking for somebody who will help us uh, in terms of making sure we're building on a strong foundation. I do have an interim CIO, uh, we have an entire team. So I'm looking for someone who will bring leadership skills, someone who will help us architect the future technology roadmap for Laurentian to support the strategy that we will be launching at the end of this year. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah,
10: but is there- but, is, but is, does that indicate, Rania, that you expect personal banking will be a growing piece of the overall pie when you think about the business mix in the future at Laurentian Bank?
0: Yeah, so we've got three businesses, and I expect all businesses to contribute to our growth, commercial banking, capital markets, and personal banking. And uh, it's going to be underpinned by digital as well as our technology platforms. Yes.
1: Thank you. We don't have any further questions at this time. I would like to turn the conference back over to Ms. Aranya Llewellyn for any additional or closing remarks. Thank you.
0: In closing, I'd like to leave you with a few key takeaways. The momentum we built at the beginning of the year has continued into the second quarter. The bank's capital and liquidity positions are strong, and its credit quality is sound. This quarter also included some significant achievements, including the credit outlook upgrades, the launch of our inaugural covered bond program, and the issuance of limited recourse capital notes. At the same time, we continue to maintain a focus on cost discipline as we pivot towards identifying more structural cost optimization opportunities. Over the next few quarters, I plan to provide additional updates on the review of our mortgage process as we aim to further improve the customer experience and renew growth. As the digital channel is integral to our plan, we are initiating a review of our digital strategy and will also share these insights. Finally, across the board, the leadership team is hard at work to identify key areas of strategic focus and priorities to chart a new path forward. Thank you for joining the call today. Have a happy and safe summer, and I look forward to speaking with you again in September.
2: Thank you for joining us today. Should you have any further questions, our contact information is included at the end of the investor presentation. Our third quarter of 2021 earnings call will be held on September 1st, and we do look forward to speaking with you then. Have a pleasant day.